So do you want to know what the most uh, narcissistic thing you can possibly do in America is? Uh, please do share. Uh, listen to your own podcast on the way home. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you have, was that the first time you've ever listened to one of these? Like, I think uh, you've posted, like, you've sent me a couple, and I'm like, ah, I'll listen for two seconds. And usually it's mainly just you talking, since <laughs> I think you probably talk for, like, 70% of the show, which which is fine. But no, like, I'm like, all right, we finally posted the whole thing, and you know what, let's, let's give it a shot. And I listened to the whole entire program, and it was pretty decent. Well, that so that actually might be the most narcissistic thing you could do, is listen to your own podcast, and then on the subsequent episode of said podcast, comment on how good the previous episode was. I said I thought it was decent. I don't think that's a rave review. But no, I meant overall, like, the audio quality sounded pretty good. Thank you. Um, and it just, I don't know. I think we've gotten, we've gotten this down. I think we just need to work on, um, you know, like the content and the uh, interestingness. But it was, it was pretty decent. Um, and I, you're welcome to uh, just hang up the call anytime I say, mm-hmm. Because uh, that's kind of the worst part of this whole program. But it's okay. Yeah, I, I fully admit that when I'm editing the show, I pay much more attention to my little ticks, and I, I do a, a more careful job of editing most of those out. Wait, oh, so your audio track is heavily edited? Well, in, in theory, they're both heavily edited, but I, I think I'll admit to perhaps paying a little bit more attention to mine. Okay. Well, anyway, so I, I learned a couple things from that. Well, so like a couple of comments on the show. So first of all, thank you for, you know, people who are listening. I, I got some very nice feedback from a variety of people, which was which was nice. Um, you know, put some put a decent amount of work into these things. So it's nice to know that uh, the work is appreciated. I show up for an hour and a half weekly and then do nothing else. You're an, you're an important part of the show, Carlos. This would not be nearly as interesting if I sat here uh, by myself. I don't think. Uh, but the, so this, the second note with the audio, I, I agree the audio is pretty good. Um, the one thing I was a little disappointed in was not being able to more effectively um, eliminate the, the train sound. You have a train that's fairly near your apartment, not to, you know, triangulate or anything, but... That's fine. I did hear that. I was surprised it only happened once or it was only um, noticeable once, but that's okay. There are some things I can do to to try to prevent that in the future, but you know, you know, I w once I once I determined that I wasn't able to eliminate it, I decided just to kind of own it, leave it in there, and uh, you know, kind of comment on it in the uh, little description of the show. Again, I live in real America. I'm not. I'm not ashamed of it. Hmm. That's living living close to. Uh, is it is it an Amtrak? Is that what? Well, we, we don't we don't need to go into too much detail sure. here. I mean, it's, you know, it, we, it's, we don't want it's, the... No, it's a prototypical uh, Hyperloop track. Mm. Mm-hmm. Live wow. next door to Elon. <laughs> is, that, is that right? <laughs> and we're on a first-name basis, too. <laughs> right, yeah. Um, all right. So enough, uh, like, meta stuff that I assume if anybody even bothered to tune into episode two, they've probably already checked out. So... Yeah, I think that this is probably what the people are going to continue to tune in for is we'll just we'll just continue to comment on the first episode and the things that were good and the things that we can improve. And that we'll just continue to come back to that. It's like that uh like uh Talking Dead show or what like why does AMC feel the need to um like show a 1-hour program and then have a 1-hour program discussing that program immediately afterward? It's because for the last couple of years they've been unable to come up with any compelling original content. Boom. Well, people keep saying that uh, Halt and Couch Fire show, like people I respect, 
have been saying that it's decent. Like all the ads make it look ridiculous. Yeah, I've actually heard the um, what's that? What's the American Spy show? Uh, turn. Turn. Yeah. Well, you, you're the one who said it looked great and it's terrible and boring. Yeah, I couldn't really get through the first episode. It it was really boring. But I mean, if Sandwich says that um, Halt and Catch Fire is good, I'll give it like two episodes. I don't think there's probably nobody who listens to this who even know uh, who Sandwich is. Maybe you should elaborate there a little bit. People know who Sandwich is. I don't. I don't really think they do. Do you think people haven't seen it? They don't know who he is, or they haven't seen his stuff because he is making really um, popular and uh, cool promotional stuff. I agree, but I I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if many many folks know who he is. Okay, well, Sandwich is Adam Lissigor. He does Sandwich video, and he makes uh, cool ads for products people like. He's been the uh, the pitch man for this. Um, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now. Coin. The, coin. Yeah. There so he is. does it for coin. He does it for your, uh, he does eBay, Groupon, um, True Car. He does a whole ton of them. He's got a very uh, un- unassuming and or like. He's got a nice presence where, you know, like he doesn't seem like uh, like kind of like a Billy Mays. So hmm. it's very good. Did you pre-order one of those coin things? I didn't just because like, well, one, I don't know. Like I assume it's, it seems too good to be true and it's probably going to suck. Um, and also they're switching over to all like, uh, the chip and pin stuff. So in like two years, it's going to be out of date. Yeah, I did. I did read about that today. Well, it'll be, it'll be a good two year run. Yeah. I don't know. And, and if it's amazing, I'll just buy one at full price, whatever. Yeah. I don't really think it was much of a discount through the kickstarter and also well no the thing is like they had this like a uh, one month pre-order period and then like the pre-order period went for it's still going that just seems kind of weird but anyway all right so what would you like to talk about well i i know what i want to start with although is it the I'm, first thing on the google docs because yeah so, so i'm i'm a little afraid about bringing up video games two shows in a row i feel like maybe i'm I think pushing should, my luck a we, little bit. I think I think you are, but if you want to make it quick. Oh, though, thank you. Again, as I've said before, it's very kind of you. Very gracious. Well, and and also, so do people have a different opinion of them ever since uh the whole uh, Facebook thing? Okay, so well, well let's all right, all right. It, it, it's it's difficult for the folks to follow along if uh we only refer to the stories in the abstract. So this is uh Oculus Rift. So uh just after we recorded last week, they announced that they were going to be releasing the uh, second iteration of their developer kit. So this thing isn't uh, available to the general public yet, but it has been available through these uh, developer kits. And so this is the second big iteration of of the kit. Um, and I, I bring it up because, actually, to, to tie it into kind of the, the little, this little running joke we have now with you not being a gamer is I'm curious, is is this something, this kind of virtual reality thing, is this something that for somebody like you who doesn't traditionally play, you know, console or PC games, is this something that you think may kind of get you interested in gaming, similar to the way that for quite a few people, the Wii U and the whole, you know, motion control thing got them to play games where maybe they otherwise wouldn't? Absolutely not. Well, all right. So, I mean, I mean, no, just in the sense that because my, my gaming, like I, I sort of sometimes used to play games 
And it's kind of with, with iOS devices, it's gone to kind of like quick. You can pick it up for five minutes and play games. This kind of virtual reality thing, at least like in its infancy, where it has that whole like gigantic helmet head thing. Um, it seems more like, you know, those people who used to like set up like uh, triple monitors and like have like crazy joysticks and like devote a room in their house to gaming. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Who would, gosh, who would do any, anything like that? Well, no, that's what this looks like to me. Like, I'm sure one day it'll be miniaturized and it'll be cool and like your TV or whatever will just do this. But right now it seems like kind of like the, the super crazy guy who has like, um, like a custom gamer mouse and, and keyboard and all this stuff and like triple monitors. It's just not something that I would ever want. This does not get me into gaming. This seems like even more involved than my opinion now of kind of like a PlayStation where you boot it up and there's two hours of updates before you can even play a frame. You know, there was a period of time where not only did I have three monitors hooked up to my desktop, <laughs> okay, but, but they were all CRT monitors. No, you did not. Mm-hmm. What, where did you get the money for that? Because I assume this was like before college. Yeah, this was uh, this was probably like middle school. They were like hand-me-downs. I think my dad had them. So, from so work none of them something. matched. I assume. Oh no 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 no! <laughs> I think that kind of destroys the experience a little bit. <laughs> well, I, I you know I, I guess I wasn't going for uh, image fidelity at the time. <laughs> you were trying but, to play three different like Half-Life uh, Counter-Strike mod games at the same time. Yeah, I I think the primary use that I had, I don't really know why I had the, I had two for most of the time. I ran uh, multi monitor setups, but then I, I did have three for a while, and I kind kind of trying to remember like some of the big things that I did. I think honestly, it was like Counter Strike in one monitor, and then AOL Instant Messenger in the other. I, I you know I didn't want to miss any of my um, my aim aim chats um, while I was you know playing counter-strike <laughs> with you with your sub profile with my what wasn't that a thing sub profile like the buddy info or like that thing didn't have like enough space so people like made web pages embedded in aim and it was called sub profile this was a thing wasn't it i i, I wasn't plugged into this oh man all right my okay. my profile was a, a self-contained uh thing okay all right. So anyway, so, so, and also quick question. So when you, so the Oculus Rift thing, so it was a Kickstarter thing. So if you want to be like somebody getting these developer kits, did that mean like you donated a certain amount and you just get all the prototypes or does it give you the option of buying the prototypes? That's a good question. I, I believe that the Kickstarter was specifically for the first version. Just, you basically just bought the first version. Like and the production then- version? No, the the uh, developer kit. Okay. So the, the the Kickstarter was for the developer kit, and then I believe that this second version, which they just came out with, was just was just made available to anybody who wanted to purchase it. Okay. So Kickstarter, the the Kickstarter function of all this is has kind of come and gone. It's it's served its purpose. Gotcha. I think the approach they've had's been smart. They have been very patient and i think they have a really clear understanding that this thing already is sort of a long shot to succeed but the only chance it ever has of going anywhere is if it has a extensive library of games and applications for it before they try to release it well which it won't well i I don't see i just i disagree prohibitive at the start, won't it? Like, I mean, no. So that's been that's been a huge thing for them. Is they've 
um, had a goal all along of making the finished product uh, cost comparable to what they've been selling the developer kit for. And in this case, uh, the the second version is three hundred and fifty dollars. And I think I think they've come out and have explicitly said that they want to make the final product that same price or perhaps even a little bit cheaper. So does it rely on a like a PC for driving the gaming graphics? Is it self-contained or does it run off a console? For now, it's the PC. So it itself is not a, like um, something you can play games on. It requires that's, like a $1,000 PC. That's right. Okay. Well, not a $1,000 PC. Well, I assume if it's running some fancy pants uh, like um, like graphical thing. Uh, it probably need, requires a good video card. You'd be surprised. The price of that kind of stuff has come down quite a bit. Hmm. I my the desktop that I built not that long ago is pretty well specked out, and it's it's nowhere near a thousand dollars. Hmm. Well, you have to include your genuine license to Windows Eight. No, that's cheap. Is it really? I remember back in the day, like when Microsoft was kind of in there, like uh, like butter, like their like a game. Like Windows was like three hundred bucks. I, w- I want to say that I had bought it sometime over the holidays and got a deal on it. I think it was less than a hundred dollars. Wow. Hmm. Um, I'm I'm personally very excited about this, and I I think that if done correctly, I do think this has the chance of doing something similar to the Wii, where I could really bring a lot of people into. <sighs> I, I would strongly into games disagree. that otherwise you know wouldn't play. Mm-mm. No, the the Wii was popular because it was inexpensive and it offered a very simple, intuitive, and um, very approachable kind of view of gaming. This is the absolute opposite. It's unique and it's different, but it is not more accessible. I absolutely disagree with that. Well, the other thing that I think they have been open to is not necessarily always tying this thing to a PC. So there, there could be a future that with this thing where maybe it comes in a you know complete kit and it includes, I mean, what is essentially a little mini PC, but you don't have to worry about going out and you know putting one together yourself. Well, but what will the final thing look like? Because here's the thing: when you had Wii Sports Resort or whatever it was, and you had the Wii Mote. You could have like a 10-year-old that tells his grandma, okay, here's what you do to play bowling. And in 30 seconds, she'd be up and running and she'd be like, oh, this is cool. I, old people and people who are not familiar with gaming are not going to strap this to their face. So I just strongly disagree. I don't know. I think there's a, a curiosity factor with it. Yeah, well, people were curious about the the HP touchpad. I, no, well, I don't actually actually don't know if that was true or or some other failed product, <laughs> the palm full, whatever. Insert anything that's been. I don't know. I really don't think. I think it's a cool idea. I assume in time, as it gets miniaturized and everything, it'll it'll be more interest. It'll be more alluring to people. But right now, this is gonna be hardcore gamers and early adopters, if at all. And that's and that's assuming there's content to play. Well, we will agree to disagree. Fair enough, sir. Um. All right. I'll, I'll, I've got my I got my gaming fix for the week. Okay. Thank Thank you. Okay. So that that allows me to cross off this Xbox uh, or sorry this EA subscription thing. Yeah, we don't we don't really need to talk about that. 
I, I was gonna be I was gonna be kind of curious if if maybe one of the reasons why someone like yourself doesn't play a lot of games is because the idea of having to you know shell out sixty bucks a pop is is kind of off putting. I'm not sure it is, and also the thing is everything can't cost a monthly fee. Like you have your Spotify, you have your Netflix, you have your iTunes Plus, you have or like you've got oh my god my Pandora one, like everything can't be four to fifteen dollars a month there's a there's a limit on how many active subscriptions you'll have so i don't know like i don't see where this would ever fit in for me and i assume eventually they would probably say well except like uh what, what is what big franchise does ea make do they do call of duty or is that somebody else uh ea uh, uh no call of duty is um activision uh what, what's a popular franchise they make so ea does like battlefield Okay, or do do they do the Maddens and in, in, they do, in they, the NBA two Ks or whatever? They they do they do the Maddens, yes. Okay, so like if if Madden two thousand fifteen or whatever with like Carmelo Anthony or whatever, like it ha- it comes out. Wait, I'm sorry. Did you say Madden with Carmelo Anthony? Yeah. So if that comes out and they're like, mm-hmm. no, there's a two month waiting period before this becomes on the subscription service, which you know it will, because if everybody's paying five dollars, like so, games are on average sixty dollars. Um, $60 a title. And let's say EA comes out with four good games a year that most people would want to buy. Is that a fair number? One every three months? I'd say so. Okay. So then that's uh, it's $240. Yet, if you're paying $5 a month for a subscription service, that's $60 a year. So they're not going to let their top titles go on that, wouldn't they? That's a terrible business strategy. No. And I I, um, I guess I was, I was going to try to separate um, this story sort of out into two parts. One is whether this is an idea that's even interesting to you to begin with. But then second, yeah, I, I agree. The the business model behind it is, I think, dubious. Well, the thing is, I, like I have they said, because like the thing is, even if they give you everything up front, eventually it's going to be like the movie studios were like, well, no, Netflix is this, this is ruining our business and like subscription music because nobody's paying for the good stuff up front. You want your back catalog to be available because you're not making any money off of it. But all the new stuff you want to pay full price for. So it would either start as a good product and then just rapidly deteriorate when they find out they're not making money. Well, the, the Netflix thing is a really interesting example. I was I was talking about this when I was sharing this story with a friend. I, I think, you know, going back, I don't know, six, seven years ago, before Netflix was as popular as it is now, particularly before the streaming component became part of the service, I think the idea of having any sort of like comprehensive streaming service for movies and TV shows that cost nine bucks a month and was readily available on every device would be a pretty far-fetched idea and not something that you would expect to be right around the corner. But even though Netflix, you know, of course they don't have every single premium movie and some of the uh, some of their selection, particularly in certain genres, leaves a lot to be desired. Overall, that overall, is the you understatement ha- of a century. Well, but overall, you have to say that Netflix is pretty solid. And if I it's think a tremendous it's, value for eight dollars, it is not right. the be all and end all. Like I am not being able to cancel cable. I do not need to. Movie theaters do not need to close down. No, but I think that. The example Netflix sets is that, you know, maybe there is hope for something like a, a similar subscription service for games. Because there, there is with, there's a service called Gamefly, which is kind of, kind of like the old, 
um, the old Netflix model, which relied more heavily on physical discs being shipped in the mail. But I really don't think there's ever, there's never going to be something where multiple, like, because gaming's a big business. So, like, there's nothing that where Activision and EA and whoever the heck else makes games all agree to say, you know, we're giving all our stuff away for 10 bucks a month on all platforms except Wii U, because of course it wouldn't work on Wii U. Because, oh, and, and sorry, and here's the thing. Nintendo just makes me mad now. Um, didn't, like, up until, like, six months ago, the Wii, if you ever wanted to play on online, you had to, like, call somebody over the phone and give them, like, a 14-digit friend code? <laughs> yes, that's that's true. Okay, so so Nintendo doesn't allow, isn't allowed to be, like, said in the same sentence as gaming anymore. That's just what I've decided. I actually got confused. I, with, you know, Mario Kart 8 came out a little while ago, and this was the, the first time that I was actively trying to add people to my Wii U friends list. And when you look at the interface, the first thing it shows you is your, like, I think it's like your Nintendo, not your Nintendo ID, but like your friend code or something. I forget what it's called, Uh, but it's, it's this 14 character thing you're talking about. And so I thought that was what you still needed. So I was like trying to like get people's codes and all this (laughs) and that. But um, eventually I did come to find out that there's a totally not obvious way where if you go into like this other menu you can like add people just through their what's the equivalent of nintendo's like gamer tag but it's not intuitive at all i don't know again we've already talked about this but uh, nintendo just makes me so sad i mean it's really sad that in two years they're just be making ios games hmm and i would pay in a heartbeat 20 bucks for a nintendo or sorry for mario kart on ios and they would sell so many units. But yeah, I yeah, I I don't I don't disagree because I think th- like because things are splitting where the con it's either like a crazy hardcore console that's kind of becoming like a hybrid uh, entertainment media center device. I don't know. Nintendo is like casual gaming is hard with phones and to a lesser extent tablets. I don't know. I feel I feel really bad for them. Well, the, the thing that really holds back a company, particularly like Nintendo, which is for the last number of years now, starting with like the Wii and the DS, they've really relied heavily upon sort of this unique uh, interface to their games, whether it be a touchscreen or motion control or 3D or in the case of the Wii U now, like this big second screen. Um, it, it's It would be hard to replicate anything similar to that on today's iphone or ipad or any sort of android device the touch touch screen controls particularly with games is just not very good so i actually i actually don't know how i don't don't disagree i don't disagree that's not very good but it's the system that most people are willing to accept yeah but i just i think that you run into this huge danger where if you're nintendo and you stop making hardware and you decide to come out with your next big triple a mario game on uh smartphones and tablets and the controls are universally panned like i think that that puts them in a really tough spot because now now they're not making the hardware and they're going to kill a lot of the goodwill that they've had with people who have loved their games so i don't know i I think that's i think that's a pretty big risk and i don't think it's as obvious as some people have made it sound it should be hmm. 
Yeah, I feel for him, but I'll tell you, I've I've got my the Wii U. I, I'm I'm with you. I'm I've I've had a Wii U for a while now, and it's it's okay, but it's it's it, it is it's just okay. But the I've got a 3DS as well, and that thing is a heck of a little machine. Um, it's it's awesome when you're when you're traveling or if you just you're otherwise you know don't have access to your PC or consoles. It's a great little machine. And a lot, like there, there's just experiences you can have on a 3DS that you really can't have with even like a console, uh, you know, system. Just with the, with the, the two screens, the 3D, um, it, it's 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 pretty sweet. So I, I I don't necessarily want them just to completely give up on on hardware. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, let's let's switch to a really positive story. Okay. Yes. Right. A lot, lot too much negativity here up front. All right. So, what is your favorite application on uh, Mac, Windows, or iOS? Oh, this is a that's a leading question. If there ever was one. Well, I, okay. Well, favorite or most useful? Most useful outside of Chrome. Oh, one password, of course. You're darn right. So. One of the biggest um, improvements or because like, so you remember WWDC and, and everything that uh, Apple talked about with iOS 8 was kind of centered around kind of like a more like open Apple, like I, I not open in the Google sense, but like open, actually open where they're, you know, kind of loosening kind of the, the um, they're loosening everything that they've done before where they kind of like make it so you only one app can talk to its own like silo of data. And they're making it so that you can have extensions within the web browser and all this stuff. And they've opened up Touch ID, which normally only worked for the iTunes store and unlocking your phone. And now uh, third parties get access to it, which kind of to the logical conclusion of an app like 1Password allows you to no longer have to type a master password. Yeah, this, this this is pretty sweet. There's a, a video of how this is going to work in iOS 8. And it looks awesome. Well, so that's not even the biggest news about it. So one, like, so not having it to your master password is really, really cool. But uh, in the alternate keyboards are going to allow you to kind of have like a one password type keyboard to use inside Safari. But also today they just came out with an extension that they're making available to third party developers where you can integrate one password into your application. So there's no switching apps. There's no cutting and pasting and going back and forth. You can just have a button that says, let me access my entry and one password for this app. Like that's the, like earlier today, you forwarded a video to me and that's specifically what that was referring to, which is one of the coolest parts of this. Cause you know how like there's always been um, like, like Tweetbot and Instapaper and all these things. They kind of have like that, um, like inter app URL scheme thing that kind of allows them to talk back and forth. This is just a much more um, like standardized version of that for one of the most important apps on your iPhone. Yeah, you know, it, I one password as great as it is has always been more difficult to use on the iPhone as compared to just like on the Mac or even on Windows because of, you know, entering your master password especially on a smaller screen is just more difficult and then having to, you know, go back and forth between uh one password and the app that you're trying to enter your information into is it's it's just sort of a hassle. Like and on a so computer, now, on a computer, it's extremely easy because like you know, alt tabbing, it's no big deal, and copying and pasting. Like there's all these keyboard shortcuts that make this easier. 
But when you're having to manipulate everything on a touchscreen and double click the home button to try to get in and out of all this stuff, it's, it becomes kind of messy and kind of just makes you like, ah, well, maybe I should just pick the same password for everything. This is, this is too much work. Right. But it's coming around. Right. The, the, this, the, the two, the two things that have held it back on iOS and, or any other of their, uh, mobile platforms has now been, well, I guess actually the t- touch ID stuff and the extension stuff is specific to iOS. But those two things, the touch ID and being able to just basically plug into any app is phenomenal. And actually, if I, if it, it really is truly as easy as that video makes it look, now all of a sudden one password almost becomes easier on iOS than even on your Mac. A little. But um, I guess my big question or kind of like a thought experiment thing is, will the Touch ID integration be a free update or will this be something that they'll use kind of as an excuse to say, well, this is the 5.0 version and there's an upgrade? How do you think they're going to run it? Since they just did their big kind of refresh for iOS 7 and all that kind of stuff um, fairly recently. I think it'll be a free update just because of what you just said. The, they didn't become fully iOS 7 compatible until I think it was only maybe a month or two ago. But why not? Because so if it was a paid update, well, hold on. If it was a paid update, how much would you pay for it? $20 <sighs> instantly. Oh yeah, with that I, I mean I would have I would say even thirty thirty five I wouldn't even think about yeah because here's the thing like they charge like forty bucks for their P, for their like uh, like desktop version but for me like the iOS version is dramatically more valuable so I, like it should be the opposite like where I think the iOS version is only like twenty bucks but like I know while like while it hasn't been that long since a major revision to it I think like the, it really. Because it looks like they're doing a lot of code work behind the scenes and a lot of effort to kind of get developers into this, where I think it should be a paid update. And they could get away with charging a lot of money for it. So while I would like it to be free, I I really don't think they will. Well, I mean, even if they don't, I have absolutely no problem uh, paying for the new... um, the new iOS eight features like the, the, when I was kind of typing up some notes on this link, the the thing that immediately came to hit, came to mind was literally if the only, the single new thing about iOS eight was this extensions feature, that would be enough for me. Like I would <laughs> just, just give me iOS seven as it is today and add in this extension feature. And I'm happy. Uh, I'm not sure that's true, but Hmm. Do you think it's going to be available? I'm not sure if they've given hints to this. So iOS 8, I assume, would be out late September, early October-ish, along with kind of the iPhone 6 release. Does that make right. sense? Yes. Do you think this will be available then? Just <sighs> well, in the sense that the <laughs> iOS 7 release, they took their time to polish it and make sure it was it was fully baked. I, I think th- this is different because... Not what do you want, what do you think? I mean, yeah... I want- I- I, I mean, I, yeah, I would love it to be day one. I, I think this is different than the iOS 7 thing just because it wasn't like Agile Bits was out there before iOS 7 came out showing like concepts about what one password was going to look like in iOS 7. They were basically completely silent. Whereas now they're actually coming out, showing these videos, 
um, I, I, it, it seems like they're being much more proactive. Now, history has not supported that, but I, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that this time will be different. But that could also just be being hopeful. All right. Every everybody should use one password. By the way, we'll do a little. I mean, they don't. They don't, I, I they don't sponsor agree. the show. I absolutely which is, agree. Everybody you know, should be using a single password for every they, website. They would be a fantastic sponsor because I mean, I I could literally just spend half the show talking about how great one password is. But well, they've already if if they're listening, they've already found out that they can just they make such a good product that they don't even have to pay. That's right because they just I'm got happy. at least ten minutes of. Yeah, I'm happy to give them the, the the free publicity, as you would say. Yes, our 10 of listeners mm-hmm. um, have already gone out and bought multiple copies under different iTunes IDs. Yeah, I, I run this thing on my Mac, my Windows laptop at work, iPhone, iPad. It's fantastic. Are there any incompatibilities between the Windows version or has there ever been any like worry about like data corruption or anything? No, they, and as a matter of fact, they just updated the uh, Windows version to be much more in line feature-wise and sort of look-wise um, to the Mac version. And it look, looks great, works great. And no, I've never never had a problem. In fact, it, it's crazy because I, I always thought that you were supposed to have to go through this um, one-time setup process every time you installed 1Password on either the Mac or Windows where... You had to say, hey, I'm using Dropbox for sync. Here's where my Dropbox folder is. But every single time I've installed the software on either Mac or Windows, it's just automatically seen like, oh, hey, you have a Dropbox folder. Here's the you know master key thing. We're good to go. No, no setup required. Nice. So yeah, every everybody should use one one password. They've got Android, they've got Windows, iOS, Mac, they got everything. So no no reason not to. A little pricey initially, but um, totally I don't know. I, it's a kind of a cheesy line, but I don't I don't think you can you can put a price on security. They can you know they can run with that. <laughs> they can have that one for free. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a freebie. Yeah. Um. Well, all right. Uh, so your uh, what's one of your other favorite companies? Um. Oh well, I mean, who who operate? I, who who does the logistics behind your motorcade? Oh, it's Uber, of course. All right. The, so, you know the, the listeners. You know they they don't know about the the motorcade. Oh, actually, so, okay. So Ryan, he, you know he he's um he's, you know he's a fancy gentleman living in San Francisco. Was mm-hmm. that was that close to what Dan says? I was great. Yeah, spot spot on. All right, and and he of course you know a man about town will take uh you know he needs he doesn't want to like slum it on public transit. So he he will um, enlist the services of Uber, which is your uh, everyone's private driver. So uh, what do your uh, private drivers think of you? Well, so your your sort of um, uh, analogy or I I don't even really know what what this is, but because of the the frequency at which I use Uber, the vision you have of me is every time I, I use Uber, I not only request one car, but have a, what you say, a motorcade, even though it's actually not possible to request more than one car at a time, but. I'm um, sure they would give you like a developer build that allowed you to do whatever you want. You probably have like platinum status. You're like the George Clooney of Uber. I don't think I am, which is, which is unfortunate. I think I should be. (laughs) Well, maybe that's what happens when you get 4.9, not 4.8. 
Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, so it's funny. So that this this thing came out this week where people I don't know how people find these things, but you, you could like run some like JavaScript thing on their website, or I, I don't even know what it was. Something pretty crazy, and you could find out what your rating is because similar to how as a passenger you rate drivers, the drivers turn around and rate you on us on the same 5.0 scale. And it's funny because like three weeks ago I was taking, you know, taking an Uber ride, of course. And just out of nowhere, the driver like starts talking about how drivers rate passengers and this and that. And he's like, Oh, you know, Hey, let me, let me look up your rating. We're not, we're not really supposed to give this out, but I'll, I'll tell you anyway. And he, he said I was a 4.8, which, you know, as, as a little aside here, I, I was actually pretty heartbroken by. I, I felt like I've been nothing less than a 5.0 on all of my Uber rides. <laughs> Although, I mean, I, it's, I mean, I guess under certain set of circumstances, it maybe there have been instances where I haven't been a 5.0 and thought I was. I don't know. <laughs> we, we won't, we won't get into that here, but. Uh, the self-hatred. I love it. Um, yeah, I'm a big, big fan, big fan of Uber. That's sort of the uh, the moral of the story. I it's like I when your mom looking... tells you you're not the favorite kid. Yeah, really, no, I know. Well, but you know, <laughs> apparently Veronica Belmont is the favorite kid. She's a four point nine. I saw who, that. Yeah. Who wouldn't rate her that way? Anyway, whoa. Hmm. Hey, she seems like a very, very uh, likable person. Anyway, she is. Yeah. Um. Oh, does she still do that Texilla thing, or not really? What does she do these days? I, I'm not really sure. I don't, I'm not. I'm not quite as uh, in tune with all that anymore. Mm. All right. You know, I I um on a, on a serious crazy Uber story. Putting aside the the whole motorcade thing, I I I have this kind of thing I do where you, not every week, but maybe once every other week, I'll kind of just like look at my credit card statement on like a Monday morning to see. What the it damage was? How how things went over the weekend? <laughs> and I kid you not, I had a weekend. I think it, it was the same weekend where this driver told me my rating. Where on Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday, I took six Uber rides, which I think that's pretty impressive for two and a half days. You don't you don't seem quite as impressed. Where did you go? You know, about. I know it's one of those weekends where I just I had like a brunch and then went to the Giants game. I just you know just just around around the city. I understand. Anyway, so that was a nice little. I don't know. It seems like in uh, they fixed the bug pretty quickly. Yeah, they did. Well, it, they're it, on it. They're 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 a very secretive organization. I saw a couple of tweets by people suggesting that it was a publicity stunt. Eh, I'm not sure. I don't think they need any more free publicity. Right? Yeah, I I agree. But that would be that'd be pretty funny if it was. <laughs> if the if the next time surge pricing comes out and it says um, applies to only cut with uh, customers 4.7 or less. <laughs> oh, that would that would be pretty good. Uh, riots would break out. <clears throat> All right. What do you want to do next? Um, we got a few got a few more things. Um I think that this uh this iPhone thing that with the with Hilton could be kind of interesting, maybe. Mm. Not because of this specific story, but the 
the topic it, topic which it raises. Mm-hmm. Let's let's give this a try. Okay, go ahead and run run it down because I haven't. All right, this. so so th- this specific story is um, Hilton, you know, big big hotel chain. They are working on a program, I think, which is set to launch sometime next year, where in most of their hotels, you're going to have the option to download their app to your smartphone and simply use your phone as the key to your room. So there no longer will there be a need to, you know, get the little credit card things or whatever for your room. Um, and so I don't, uh, that in and of itself is not super interesting, but one of the things that I've noticed more is when I talk to like friends or family about the increased number of things that I do on my phone. So like a real common example that I use a lot is the whole idea of having a boarding pass on your phone for a flight instead of printing something out. Um, or in the case of like the Starbucks app where you're, you know, paying for your drinks using your phone, the list goes on and on. And I think there's, it's, a, there's sort of an interesting, uh, thing that a lot of people have where they're, they're very hesitant about giving that much, I guess, power or relying so much upon a single device, which I have absolutely <sighs> no problem with. And in fact, I, you know, as, as demonstrated by the fact, like we were talking about earlier, I was a backer of coin, which is taking all of your distinct credit cards and basically just combining them into one card, which is tied to your phone. Um, I, I have no problem with any of this, but I, I think it's a interesting discussion where a lot of people do have a problem with that. Where, where do you land on this? So I, I like that you found a way to make this story interesting. Because I mean, because overall, like, I don't think this is a big thing. Because one, I think it's a thing that like a couple of nerds would use and most other people would never really touch. Because in a lot of ways, like using your phone for things, because like the like the app ecosystem and all that stuff, it's not super tightly integrated yet. Like it's probably gonna be a pain in the ass that doesn't work most of the time. Like right for the first couple of years. Would you say that's fair? That's uh, fair. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so so overall, I mean, yeah, meh for the whole Hilton thing. But I think younger people, there's a certain type of person, like the younger, like techie type person is willing to do so many things and kind of do this like trade off with trust that older folks will absolutely never do. Like, I mean, like, like there are a lot of people that are still not uh, comfortable with like banking online or people who like still write checks on what planet is it going to take for them to like board a plane using their phone? Or do anything with their phone. It's just going to take an extremely long time for that. Whereas you and I would never think like anything that requires like actual pen and paper or something that's not digitized. I will find a way to just not do it. I don't know. It's, it's just, it's, it's, it's mind boggling. So you, you land on the same side of the fence as me where you really don't give it a a second thought. No, I mean, they're reasonable, like, you, you'll kind of give it, like, the smell test. You'll, you'll make sure that it seems like there's a reasonable amount of security for it. You kind of understand the trade-offs that you're giving. You familiarized yourself with, like, the back end and what the processes are. You don't just throw caution in the wind and just try absolutely anything. But you will definitely take an increase in convenience for, uh, in exchange for maybe a tiny bit less of privacy. Would you say that's fair? Uh, yeah, because I think that it, is yeah, what I, we're trading off. Like, because when we do everything through our phones, that allows the companies that we are um, conducting business with 
to get so much more data about how we are interacting with that business. Like I'm sure you've heard like the term like big data and that kind of stuff where you can analyze your purchases and all that kind of in and everything to so a company gets to know you better and you get a slightly easier experience, but the company usually comes out way ahead in that transaction. So I, I think younger people will always be more willing to do that. And I think eventually, how do, how do I say this? Like you just have to wait for all like those old people to stop, like to stop mattering, if that makes sense. Well, actually, but that's interesting though, because I, I don't think age necessarily tells the whole story because I, I have plenty of friends who are similar age as me who are also not, not comfortable with this idea. So what are their reservations? Because the thing is, they're not set in their ways. Like, I assume there's a lot of old people who do their finances in a certain way and would never consider opting into certain types of programs and like phone and internet based things. But people who have grown up with technology, what are their reservations about it? Well, one of the most, I, I think, sort of rational uh, things I've heard is they, they don't like the idea of having so much tied to a single thing where thing being like your phone where if you lose that you've you've lost everything versus but you don't lose everything because it's backing up to the cloud it's backing up to your computer you have it encrypted you have passwords on it i don't understand like that's the, that's the complaint that i don't understand for people like people who would normally have like trusted everything to their computer or to like a day planner or like a checkbook or all these things there are in it's vastly more secure than any other system before it it's different but as long as you're competent in using technology it's no less secure than anything else well i think the thought is you know if you lose your phone where you're doing everything Yes, you can go get another phone and, and get your iCloud backup, but the, the moment you find out you lose it. Well, no, no, no. You, so, no, you sort I, of. Uh -uh. No, I'm going to, I'm backing that whole thing out because I was talking to somebody about this a couple of days ago. It's no worse than you losing your wallet and you have to go to the DMV, stand in line for two hours, present all this type of sensitive information to prove who you are. You have to go to the bank and get a new debit card. It is no different. It's just a gigantic pain in the ass. No, getting a new phone and restoring from a cloud backup is way easier. That like that no, that's not a fair. Mm -mm. No, but I think I think the idea is that you could you could potentially just lose a single credit card or debit card or maybe just lose your ID while not losing everything else. Whereas with your phone it's sort of an all or nothing thing. But as long as you have touch ID on or you have I don't buy it. Well, I mean, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir. I'm just... But, well, I'm just saying that type of defense or that, like that that line of reasoning doesn't... it it Like if you think it out logically, it doesn't make sense. I think... The, I, personally, for me, I think the argument that makes... Uh, to me, that argument that we were just talking about actually does make a little bit of sense. But the one that I have problems connecting with is the idea around just kind of general security... Because like credit cards are, I think, the best example where very rarely do merchants, when you hand them your credit card, do they ask to see your ID or validate in any way that that card is yours, right? Well, I mean, it depends. I mean, if it's like under 25 bucks, like the, the card issuer is just like, ah, screw it. It's not worth the time. Right. So to me, a, a physical credit card where nobody's validating my ID 
is it's much much less secure than an application running on my phone, particularly with something like the iPhone 5S, where I've got Touch ID, which requires my thumbprint in order for me to be able to use it. Like that, I actually I actually see moving things like payments to your phone as being an upgrade in security as compared to the system that we have today. All right. So I, I have a lot of evidence that uh, paying with your phone is is going to take many, 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 many years to catch on. But the thing is, and, that, and the problem with that is that even for you, how much like if of places that try to get you to pay using something other than a card, it's so disjointed. Like if you want to do it at Starbucks, you have to use their app. If you want to use it with Square Wallet, that's a whole different thing. If you want to use like, and, and that's like excluding the fact that Google Wallet and ISIS and all these things that run off NFC on Android phones are completely like siloed away and totally different. So that's going to take so many years to to fix. And even when you have people who know how to use it, there's all this like the NFC readers don't work. This doesn't happen. There, th- that's very, very, very far away. So plastic is, is not going away anytime soon. No, I mean, and that's that's a whole different side, right? Like, like, like boarding passes and stuff on your phone, or like uh, like calling a driver, or like uh, like baseball tickets, like those types of things. Those are more specialized usage use use cases where I think that is going to migrate to handheld devices, and most people eventually will be on board with it. And then once it's down to like eighty twenty, we'll just say, well, no, you can't do it anymore. You can't print out tickets. You can't do this. But paying payments are going to take a very very long time to switch. Well, yeah, and I, I think e- that's sort of the point here. I think even if you get people comfortable with some of the things that we've been talking about, then there's this whole other issue of logistics. Like there isn't there isn't a universal standard yet, and probably never will be for uh, paying with your phone. It's not like you know today with the whole magnetic strip thing that we have. That's something that everybody's sort of agreed upon, but having the equivalent of that with your phone is is going to be, you know, damn near impossible to come up with. And so what you're going to be left with is what we have today where there's like 18 different systems and none of them talk to each other and you've got to have like 18 different apps to talk to, you know, each system. It's it's a mess. And so I know you have like no real knowledge of this or I mean you don't like do you think tap to pay is going to take off? Like we of course we don't know. But when we move to something that's kind of beyond credit cards, what will that actually be? Do you think it's going to be kind of like a Google uh, Google Wallet NFC type deal, or is it going to be something different? I hope so, but I, I think the 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 answer is not a satisfying one, and that's it's going to be whatever Visa and Mastercard say it's going to be. Will it though? Why? Because this yeah. could be this could be like so. The, here's the thing: like most people don't like Visa and Mastercard because they don't like paying two point two to two point nine percent on transactions. So if there's somebody who can drastically reduce the payment processing costs and get consumers to adopt it, wouldn't that disrupt that whole industry? And that just unseats Visa as kind of the de facto standard for payment processing. It does, but. <laughs> They and I mean, of course, well, never, thing, like, never Visa, Visa has held up like chip and pin and all that kind of stuff for so long. Like that's the reason everything still operates on magnetic strip in the United States, whereas most other countries have uh, like used something that is not just like signature based. So I think like I mean, and here's like the part that's hard is that Google has put a lot of effort into it and they've pretty much failed. 
but I, I think there's some company that could try to make this become a thing. And I don't, I don't, if they move quickly enough, it doesn't have to be one of the old players. Well, maybe. I, I think that's extremely optimistic. Yeah. Cause I mean, like Amex tries like all types of things. Like they've been, they've been on board with ISIS and they've done, um, like RFID in their cards since like 2006. I don't know. I've never once used that in my American Express card. I do just, just for the fun of it. And like, I'd say 40% of the time it works. <laughs> and it's not, it's not American Express's fault. No, it's, it's that the reader never works. So they're like, ah, just swipe it. Come on. Oh, and then like sometimes it will work and they're like, oh, that's what that's for. And I'm like, ah, oh, Christ. Hmm. Well, that, the, the future cannot get here soon enough. I want, I want everything on my phone. I want my ID, my credit cards. I want everything on my phone. I would love to get to the point where I don't have to carry a wallet. That would just be awesome. Man, robbing in the future is going to get so much easier. Well, but it's not, though, because your phone's locked. It's secured. Hmm. That, that's what I was. That's what I'm saying earlier. Like, if somebody steals your credit card, they can just go out and use it, and the merchant's probably not going to check. But that's on the basis. ID. Well, that's that's saying that everybody uses Touch ID. There's a lot of people who think kind of that that extra half second isn't worth it, and there's still all these people that don't use lock codes on their phone. I, I thought Apple had a bunch of statistics about how Touch ID had taken off not really no it's it's the passcode thing because ever since ios 7 on every single device during the initial setup it says do you want to use a passcode and if hit no it says are you sure you really should and i think that pushed up passcode utilization to like up to 55 percent. but there's still like just a crap ton of people who don't use it you think apple could ever get away with just making it mandatory No, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so either. Like Apple, Apple uses for for all its faults, they use design a lot to say yes and no to things. But I think that's one thing where people would just like lose their shit over it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I I guess I, I I do feel a little hypocritical because prior to Touch ID, I didn't have a lock code on my phone, which that just seems like madness. It does. Well, now it does in retrospect. Especially with just the fact that like you have your email on your phone and your email is basically kind of like that de facto reset for everything. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I do. I've had like two-factor authentication on my most important services for a while. So. Well, but the thing is like my phone is the two-factor authentication device. So that's well, meaningless. That's a good point. Do you use Google Authenticator or do you use Authy? A Google Authenticator. Uh, you got to try Authy. It's very, very nice. I mean, uh, it's yeah, pretty. I, I mean, Google Authenticator works. It's the you know, it's it's not like you're really asking a whole lot of those apps. Ah, but it's so pretty. <laughs> I think I've quite literally spent a grand total. If you were if you were to add up all the 15 second interactions I've had with Google Authenticator, it would probably add up to less than five minutes. It's one of my least used apps, right? Because how often are you really accessing something? from a device that you haven't already authenticated. But it's pretty. Do you ever not use an iPhone app just because that is an ugly icon? Um, well, there, there was a period of time where I was very, very frustrated with 
one password. And and now it's pretty, but like Google Authenticator has a hideous icon. No, they it, it's been upgraded to iOS 7. No, I've still seen it. It's pretty gosh darn ugly. Uh, well, it, Google Authenticator sits in a folder like on my second screen, so I, I never really see the icon. So I guess you're saying no, you're above it, you're not superficial? That's correct. I'm not, I'm not superficial. Okay. All right. So what do you want to do next? Do you want to talk about AppRot? Sure. Yes. Yes, let's do that. So did you read the article in full? I did. So what do you think? So give, give the people some context. Okay. Well, actually, so uh, when, when did the App Store originally come out? 2009? This was, um, no, this was, um, 2008, I believe. Okay. So was it, well, no, it was iOS 3, right? iOS 2. I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Okay. So when iOS 2 came, so originally when the iPhone came out, it was just Apple's apps and that, and that was it. And I think that was probably a smart move just because you kind of had to get people familiar with the idea of having that kind of fancy phone without having to add the complexity of like third party apps. So then like a year later, Apple came out with the app store and there was kind of this, like this gold rush period where there were tons of new developers and everybody trying to make stuff for um, for the iPhone. And a lot of cool independent developers kind of rose to the top just because, you know, not everybody is on it. And there's a lot of big companies that are kind of slow moving where doing Objective-C coding and all this stuff of like good aesthetic design did not come easily to them. And that's kind of where um, like Craig Hockenberry and Mark Arment and all these people kind of kind of made their names for themselves by making really cool applications on this new exciting platform. But now, in 2014, um, the App Store is, is much more mature. I'm not even sure if that's the right word, but it's kind of it's kind of reached its peak a little bit. Is that fair? It's. I think it's reached a, let's call it a tipping point. Sure. <laughs> um, and kind of, it's, it's really tough to get noticed and also making an application... Like the, there aren't that many bad apps anymore and making yourself stand out is extremely tough and requires a lot of effort, but because it's a more mature, um, kind of landscape and there's so many iOS devices and there's so many people making apps kind of like the average selling price of applications has gone down, uh, gone down dramatically. So making a decent living or making any money at all on iOS applications is becoming extremely tough because of the sheer number of applications and the fact that so many big companies are willing to give stuff away for free. Well, I think I think I know what you're trying to say, but one point that I would make about what you just said, there are plenty of bad applications. There's tons of them, but... But by the sheer number of them, there are so many more good applications. That's that's right. So for and because, pretty much... Yeah, for pretty much every category, even if, even if there are 100 bad apps... There are 12 really, really good ones. And most of them are free because there's a company that's willing to give it away, which means that somebody who's making an extraordinary application has a really hard time competing against the 10 free applications that compete in that space. Because like, I don't know what economic principle you'd say about this is or what psychological principle is, but there's a lot like, I don't know if it's a risk aversion, but like a lot of people are just like, oh, a dollar or $3. Oh, that's a lot of money. Or just like, I don't want to risk wasting that money. And that leads to crummy applications that are ad supported and have like in-app purchases and kind of like get you like the whole, uh, like buy coins to, to do this bullshit and stuff. So 
Marco made a, a nice, well thought out piece on his website that kind of says that the whole kind of like iTunes top list of like the top hundred apps or kind of the best um, new applications that are like that have the most downloads isn't really the best way to identify new applications at the iTunes store and the Google Play store or whatever kind of need more uh, need more of a curated uh, approach to help uh, independent developers and people making good applications stand out amongst all the free stuff. Right. That, so that, that's sort of one of the, the central points that, that Marco's making in the piece and that you've kind of led up to here is that there are so many applications in the app store now that it, it's almost, it, it's, it's virtually impossible to differentiate yourself because of the fact that it's, it's a race to the bottom in terms of pricing. And there's just so much variety that standing out in any way, aesthetically, price wise, just any, you, you almost can't do anything to make yourself stand out. And on top of that, the app store doesn't really have any great mechanism for you know, yeah, they do have like editor's choice every once in a while and certain things like this. But for the most part, and this is what Marco calls out, there's a heavy reliance on these like top lists. So like top paid apps, top free apps, top grossing apps. Um, and the, and these lists are, I mean, gosh, you, you, you open up these things and it's just what ends up at the top there is, is brutal sometimes. And so, so what's, well, let me ask you. So what, um, how much do you think you spend on apps every month? And what do you consider, and, and be completely honest, please. What do you consider to be an expensive app? Like what makes you think like, I want this, but makes you kind of like, just go like, mm, do I really want this? You're talking specifically on iOS. Yes. Or, or yeah, on, on iPad too, where things yeah, are a little sure. bit more expensive. Yeah, sure. Um, I generally give pause like I, i'll think about something if it's more than 4.99 doesn't mean i won't buy it it's just to say that whereas anything less than 4.99 it that's you can just kind of just tap and, and go but anything above five bucks you start to at least pause for a minute and think about hmm. and how much do you think you spend on apps every month or maybe year to date, because I know, like, once you find kind of a core set of applications that you like and use, I mean, I know it's yeah, not I say not much hmm. um, because I I do like I, I it's funny like I don't I don't use a lot of apps like I, I guess I'm kind of weird that way, but like I'm so I'm looking at my um, my iPhone now. I think there there is like a you can go somewhere into the settings here and actually get the exact number of apps you have, right? Yep. Hey, here we go, two hundred thirty four. So so I have 110. And a lot of that's just for me. It's just because like every, every brand has its own application. It's like right. every airline and every store, it's, it's another thing, even though if you use it once a month. But Yeah, I would say that really the only apps I use frequently are, kind of no surprise, the ones that are on my home screen. Those are really the only ones that I use on a day-in, day-out basis. And some of those even I don't necessarily use every single day. So, I mean, that's, I mean, what, you got a four, four by five grid plus the kind of the launch bar. So you're talking about 20 some odd apps that you're really using day in and day out. So really not a, not a big number. Hmm. But I, I, I think, 
I, th- I think there's, 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 we're kind of talking about two different things. We're talking about a sort of like, even just like the viability as a developer to, you know, make an app and, and put it on the app store and ha- be able to have any sort of success, you know, financially. And then the second piece, which is, you know, somewhat related is this sort of complete breakdown in the app store today where it, it, it's just, it's just, a, it's a mess. It's you, you open up the app store and it's just like, trying to find apps and it just it's just kind of a it's a nightmare and these top lists clearly leave a lot to be desired so i think that the second point's a little bit maybe easier to address where it's it just seems like apple's got to come up with a way through i don't know if this is through more extensive like uh curation on their part or some better rating system. Something's got to make it so that it's easier for higher quality applications to be more prominent in the store. Yeah, I think think that is kind of the only way they can fix it. But it's... (sighs) But I think, do you think like if they actually got rid of the top hundred list, wouldn't that make people upset? Like there's a lot of people who just, I don't know, who don't think like the way we do, like we're like, they're, they're like, yeah, I do want to see what the hundred most popular is. Cause a lot of people just think like that's automatically the best and they don't want to have to kind of really review 10 different applications that do the one task they wanted to do. People think that, you know, I was like, when I get a new phone, I'll browse the top hundred and just like tap on whatever looks cool and then I'm done. I, I think Mar- and so Marco is I, I think correct me if I'm wrong but I think he's suggesting to eliminate those lists altogether right mm-hmm. I I don't necessarily agree with that I, I think you're right they do serve a purpose for a lot of people but the way that they're so prominent in the app store and that really like at, at first glance when you open like here let's let's do this here so you op- open the app store in in iOS. And when you, you know, when you look at the bottom, um, top charts is, is, is very, is right there. It's, it's on, you know, it's on every screen, uh, of the store. To me, that's, that's, that's the mistake. I think giving top lists that level of prominence is where this starts to go sideways. So those, those top lists should be available, just not not i mean it's, so it's it's right next to the featured icon right or the featured page and putting putting that that featured page and top chart sort of on the same level is just i don't think the right way to do it yeah and i mean and also they have to and what's what's your opinion of the whole um uh the uh, kind of the pop up that says rate my app because uh, you know what I'm talking yeah, about, right? The I whole, do. you know what? Hey, hey, well, wait, wait a second. Are you are you enjoying this application? Could you do us a favor and, and rate us in the App Store? S- so you know, uh, uh, actually, I'm surprised we've almost gone two full episodes without mentioning uh, John Gruber, who we're both both a big fan of, and in the private beta period of the show, found ourselves frequently quoting and referring to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah, you're on. Uh, that's right. You're you're on a more casual basis with him now. Yeah. Um, so John Gruber of Daring Fireball, he 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 sort of made it his like personal vendetta to go after this whole idea of creating a pop up window in your app to ask for a rating. I I don't feel that strongly about it. I think if it's done 
at the right moment, I don't, I don't mind it at all. I think there's, there's certainly a wrong way to do it, which many apps do, where it's literally a pop up like in the middle of doing something. But if it, if they're smart about it and it, it pops up in a kind of like at the end of a task or something, I don't, I don't mind it so much. The trouble thing, I don't know. Well, so a couple things. So I, I think a lot of people don't understand that you can just rate an application just with stars. You don't actually have to write anything. Right. Which I guess a lot of people probably don't know. And that would lead to a lot more ratings, which might help things. Because the people who leave ratings, just like anything on Amazon or Yelp or anything, is it's always either the incredibly happy people or the people who uh, who are pissed off about something. So I understand why developers feel the need to do this, but I do think it's really annoying because anytime I open something and just, it always seems like the moment I really just want to get something done or I need, I just, I'm looking for something, it's always popping up, rate us or no thanks. And no thanks always means I'm going to remind you later. (laughs) And that's the thing. There is no like fuck off button, which is, which is I'm guessing Apple wouldn't wouldn't allow that or they just just like uh like forget you or something or like whatever you know like when they dub movies on like tbs like sure that kind of thing but yeah anyway and uh so uh, to, to wrap up this like issue um i sent you a link to a tweet which i uh something like i favorited a while ago and i really like just like people uh, so it says uh app store feature idea uh we've noticed you only rate apps negatively maybe you're the problem because do you, when you whenever you download a new application do you ever kind of like look at the ratings and you see like the distribution of stars and there's always that like subset of like uh, like uh, idiots that just rate something one star just because it doesn't do what they expected it to do or they just can't read. A- absolutely, the the most useful rating is a four star. Mm-hmm. It's just and what is uh, Amazon does it in a really smart way. Um, what is it called? Like they say, it's, like the most helpful critical review, right? Like something so. like that, or like the most helpful positive review. It's not just like the like uh, you look at all the five stars. It's just like who wrote something that is actually helping people. Yeah, so they, they, they also have a similar five-star rating. And I think what they do is for any for any review which has like a four or five stars, or maybe maybe it's three, four, and five. I don't know exactly where the cutoff is. If you know for each review, people can go in and sort of, you know, basically the equivalent of like a thumbs up on Facebook where they can like like the like the review. And so they do that for both the higher set of reviews. I don't know if it's three through five or four through five. But then they also do it. You're right for the the flip side, the the one or two star ratings. And you're right; it's it's enormously helpful. And they and they put both of those right at the top, which is great. So they're easy to find. That the first thing you see, um, it, it, I agree. The way that well, the way that Amazon does it is second to none. Oh, and speaking of which, table it for next uh, next week. But we got to talk about how scary a company Amazon is. Ooh. That's a good topic. That's a long tease. They they, they, they call that the, the long con. <laughs> um, what else? What else? What else? Oh, next week also I have to talk to uh, talk about my new Synology. That's good too. I'm sorry, your what? Synology. I got rid of Drobo. Oh. Yeah. It's completely. So you you no longer have a Drobo. Uh, no, that that got shipped out. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. So we'll talk about that. Um, do you have any other stuff to wrap up this week? I want to know. So you sent me this text earlier today that Did I? I made made reference to something called Heyday. Oh, what, what is this? I'm I'm not being. I I am frequently facetious. That's you know that's just one of my things. But I'm I'm not being that way here. I literally don't I don't know what that is. 
Um, I- I've given myself only five days to play it, but it's um, I I don't know what Farmville is, but I assume it's not far off. Oh, okay. So it's it's a uh, so this it's a game. Yeah. So I had that Ingress game that I showed you a couple times that uh, that I played for a while, and I've kind of um, kind of tried to wean myself off that because it was you know it's just taking up a lot of time and it's you don't really get anything out of it. Um, so I have to go to like some other addictive type of game. So, you know, it's, it's, you're creating your own farm and your own empire and it's, uh, it's fair, it's fairly entertaining and it's just nice, relaxing, mind numbing entertainment. Yeah, this does, this does look a lot like Farmville. But the thing is, it's not, um, eh, I, I won't, I, I'm going to keep it positive. I'm not going to say any Zynga stuff, but I don't know. It's, it's very, it's, it's fun and it doesn't force you to spam like, uh, like Facebook people. And it's just a nice, fun thing. So, I'm going to give it a couple of days. Because it's, uh, it's the only decent app that runs on an Android tablet. Hmm. Yeah. We should think about doing like, a, um, like an app pick of the week. Actually, hold on. <laughs> Wait, we, I picked one even, password. <laughs> we could even do it maybe weekly is too often. Maybe like once a month. Like once, like once every few episodes, we can make a make like an app no. recommendation. Well, hold people. on. So l- let's do that real quick. Tell, so tell me what's your what's your favorite application that most people probably don't have installed on their phone. I I would say for me, it's Reader, spelled R E E D E R. You're still into the RSS. Yeah, so I, I I know you feel differently, but for me, I find RSS feeds and a kind of a, a properly put together, or I, you know, properly is not the right word because it, it's whatever works for you. But having a, a a set of feeds that I'll say the same phrase that works for you is just to me absolutely the easiest way to keep up with news and sort of filter out the noise. Hmm. I feel like for me, between hopping back and forth between the front page of the New York Times, Reader, and tw- Twitter, having those three things, I'm, you know, it's very, very easy to, to keep up as news comes up through the day. Do you still use that NYT Now thing? I do. It's fantastic. Hmm. Yeah. So, well, I'll, well, yeah, actually, I'll, let's hold on to that for maybe a future pick. Um, <laughs> okay. To can't you know can't give it all away here on this first go yeah um, but yeah so for me I think um, reader is next to Twitter the app that I use most frequently throughout the day yeah and yours so yours is one yours is one password you're you're taking the, well no no it, it, no it can't be one that people already know actually no I'm gonna get people two real quick wow uh, so one of my favorites is called Time Hop have I already told you about that one. No, I don't know about this. So TimeHop is um, a really cool application that kind of links into all your social networks. So you kind of link it up to Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Flickr and stuff. Um, and it uh, every day will send a push notification to your phone. And it'll show you everything you posted on that day um, over the years. Huh. So it's kind of a really cool nostalgia thing. It doesn't, um, doesn't spam Facebook. It doesn't like uh, do anything annoying. It just shows you kind of like here's what happened a couple a couple of days ago or or sorry a couple of years ago on that day. That is that's kind of neat. And I've and I've I've just really 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 enjoyed it. So I like that a lot. I feel like I don't I don't really post a whole lot to either Facebook or Twitter. 
And you don't do Instagram either? No, like I, I follow a lot of people and I, I frequently check, of course, both, but I, I myself don't post a whole lot. So I, I don't really know like how interesting my time hop timeline would be. I would still try it because sometimes you'll see, you'll see like, oh, I did do that or that was fun. Because I mean, you, you sometimes post like event photos and stuff on Facebook. So it's, it's a fun, like ad free. It's, it's a very, it's a very nice application. Definitely recommend it. And then another new one uh, that recently came out um, is NPR One. Oh, yeah. I heard about this. It's very good. Because I, like, I'm, I'm sure you subscribe maybe to a couple like NPR shows on Instacast. But it's nice where like you don't want to listen to like the live stream of like KQED or you don't want to have to listen to, like a whole hour or something. It just kind of learns what you like and it gives you short like news segments and like uh, things – it like mixes in some Planet Money. And it's just very, very good. And it's just a beautifully designed iPhone app. So – Wait, so how does this work? You don't you don't actually pick the shows you listen to. It it just kind of guesses what you Well, what so you think so, you're so it realizes in. that you're in the Bay Area, so it sets KQED as kind of like your local station. So you get a mix of kind of morning edition and all things considered and kind of like the like the the stock NPR um like programming mixed with some local news. And then you have the option of kind of like searching for certain things and kind of uh saying that you like stuff. And it will find more kind of related and interesting um, audio content. So I find it really nice on the drive home. It's oh, very that's good. cool. Kind of like when you like, you're, there's no real podcast to listen to and you don't really have time to kind of invent. Like you're like, it's an hour podcast and you're only going to be out for 20 minutes. So if you like public radio or just like news content, it's very, very, very good. So. That's awesome. I didn't, I didn't realize it worked that way. Yeah. Very cool. I thought it was more of just literally like, hey, here's all of the NPR shows and you can... No, not at all. That's that's cool. I like that. Yeah. So, that's my uh, Mac Break Weekly Pick of the Week. <laughs> right. Uh, what, what does Scott Bourne think? Ugh. Nobody. Uh, nobody cares. I'm sure he thinks they do. Is that still a show? I Yeah, I believe so. Oh, Uncle Leo. I like Leo. I, I'm a big, big fan of Leo. Yeah. Have you been up to the Nuketwit Cottage? Yes. I, I, I went up, um, op- like, opening, I think they're, like, first public weekend. Nice. Yeah. This was a couple of years ago now. Cool. It's nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah. All right. Solid show. De- decent, uh, decent show for there not really being uh, any news. I think it was better than decent. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, wait until you listen to it. I'm not sure I'm going to subject myself to that again. I might have to. Who knows? Maybe I said mm-hmm less this time. Well, maybe I'll... Um... No, don't edit it out. Oh, you don't want me to edit it out. Unless there's just a glaring one. But anyway. All right. Let's, let's wrap this up. Okay. All right.